And this time take your Bibles and turn with me to John, to chapter 5 of John. We're going we're to look at those last verses, 30 through 47, Lord willing, here this morning in this brief time we have together. John chapter 5. We're, uh, we're moving toward what is probably my favorite chapter in the book of John. And I realize that's, uh, that, that, that could sound like a bad thing to say. They should all be favorites. But uh, this seems to be, to me, uh, the very heart of, of this gospel account. This seems to be sort of the, 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 the centerpiece, the, the focal point, if you will. But we're not there yet. So we're going to look at all this good stuff right here at the end of chapter 5. So follow along in your Bibles as I read out loud. I can do nothing on my own. Jesus is speaking. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John... And he is borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the work that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, Bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe and you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how you believe my words. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever and forever. Father, thank you for that truth. And thank you for the truth set forth here. 
that our Lord Jesus Christ is dependable, that he can be counted upon, that he is trustworthy. We ask now that you might teach us, that you might call us just as he calls us through his words and his works that we might believe and that we might have their blessed life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know. My guess is that there's, there's a, a few people in here, and there may be more than a few people in here, who have been accused of something in your lifetime. Accused of saying something you didn't really say. Accused of doing something you didn't really do. Uh, it may be worse than that. Accused of stealing something that you didn't really steal. Hopefully, you didn't. Uh, and, and, and so forth. What do you usually do if somebody accuses you of something that you didn't do? Well, if you're smart, you call out some witnesses, right? You say, no, I, I, I didn't say that. When was I supposed to say that? Oh, well, Bill was there. He, he'll, he'll tell you, I didn't say that. And we start lining up our witnesses, right? You go to court. I don't know, some of you have probably had this where someone's called and said, I need you to be a witness for me. Maybe some work-related something, and so you're called upon to be a witness. I was, uh, I was called upon to be a, a witness in a, in a case up in Greenville County a couple of years ago for a church. It was needing a historical uh, a witness about some historical issues. That's what people do. We read back in Deuteronomy 19, or 18 rather, and or I'm sorry, we read concerning the great prophet back in Deuteronomy 18. If we had gone another chapter over in chapter 19, we learn something else. That if someone comes and you have a question about his, uh, his veracity, his trustworthiness, uh, it it's not enough for him to simply say, but I did say that, but I didn't do that. He needs to have witnesses. Deuteronomy 19.15 says, A single witness shall not rise up against a person regarding any wrongdoing or any sin that he commits. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. That's interesting here. Jesus is being accused, remember, he's being accused of having violated his own day, the Sabbath day that he gave from creation forward. We just looked at that. Jesus kind of does something here. He turns this, the tables a little bit. First of all, he smacks them with the law. They're accusing him of violating the law and he turns the table and says, no, I'm Okay, so I'll keep the law. If you're not going to keep the law, you're not going to bring your witnesses against me like you're supposed to in Deuteronomy 19.15, then I'll do it. 
And that's what this passage is all about is Jesus who's not the one who needs the witness. They're the ones who need the witnesses, but he's going to, he's going to pull out his witnesses. And so he pulls out all the, all the big guns, all the big names. And he even ends with Moses. You don't get any bigger in Jewish legal matters than Moses, right? He's the giver of the Mosaic law. He's the human dispensary, if you will, of the, of the moral law, and the law to the people of God. So, just two simple points. The first one is already addressed. The judgment to come is verified by multiple sources. He has just finished saying that there's going to be a judgment. And the judgment is going to have to do with your works. It's not enough for you to simply say that you believe. We talked about this last week. We believe that we are justified by a faith that is alone placed in Christ Jesus. But we do not believe that that faith is alone but rather that faith produces good works in us so that when we stand before the throne on that day, we'll be judged by what we've done, either good or evil. Now, Jesus, being God knows all things. And yet, Jesus, being the God-man, realizes that there are questions concerning this humanity that he possesses. That's part of the difficulty. I said this last week. One of the most difficult things about discussing Jesus Christ and understanding Jesus Christ in his relationship to the Father is because he took on flesh. See, once he took on flesh, then all of a sudden, we, we, don't even, we can't even comprehend this, that he is both God and man simultaneously. And so when he does something... In his humanity, the naysayers say, oh, see, there, he's not God, he's man. And we cannot, because we can't see it, with the naked eyes. We can't see the union of the divine and the human in the one person, Jesus Christ. We can't see that. It's not visible to the eyes. He even pecks on this a little bit, pointing the Jews back to the Old Testament and says, you, you, you've never seen him. You've never seen him. You've never seen his form. See, their struggle was, well, you, you, you don't look like, you, know, you look like a man. And yet, you're doing God things. And you're claiming God things. And you're claiming to be God by the very things you do and the things you say. And he's saying, well, you've never seen God. How would you know? I mean, there's just so much fun stuff wrapped up in this passage. 
that, I mean, we could just kind of, we could just take a serendipitous meandering through this and just point out all the fun things and all the little, all the little jabs that Jesus is giving these poor Jewish religious people. But we're not going to do that. What we are going to do is recognizing that it's difficult. We can have pity on these, these poor Hebrews that are in the Lord's uh, sights. And we can learn from them because we're an awful lot like them. Aren't we? Just go ahead and nod and say, yeah, we are. We're an awful lot like them. Yeah. I mean, just for instance, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? I mean, we, we like glory. That's the reason people struggle with Reformation doctrine. That God alone saves. Well, God, but I have to help him now. You know, I believe in free will. I do too, but your will is bound up in sin, and so you're free to sin. And I'm free to sin. But we're dead in our trespasses and sins, and therefore we're not free to believe in Jesus. We wouldn't want to. We're, after all, enemies, the Bible says. We're alienated to God. But this... This is one of the great problems that we struggle with. We like glory and, and, and we, we like, and you know, if somebody else is not tooting our horns, we'll toot it, right? I, I, I'll just tell you that uh, I heard a tune earlier in the service that took me back to my Baptist boy days. Some of y'all are right. See, I see people smiling right now. <clears throat> but that also made me think when I said, you know, if somebody doesn't toot your horn, you'll toot it. There was uh, a preacher I heard once. He said, he who tooteth not his own horn may not have his horn tooted. The whole point is, if, if you don't, you know, if you don't talk about yourself, you may not be talked about. You know, if you want people to know who you are, you better tell them. We struggle with that. And the Lord Jesus here says, that strikes at the whole issue of faith, at the whole issue of belief. How can we believe if we're so caught up in our own glory? So Jesus is dealing with people here who are an awful lot like us. So let's let's look how he does this. He begins by simply saying, judgment I've just talked about, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So he says, of this judgment I just talked about, that's not just me talking. My father bears me witness in this. He testifies that this is true. That's who he's talking about here. 
there is another who bears witness about me. I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You say, well, but verse 33 says, you sent to John, he is born witness. So maybe he's talking about John. No, he's not because verse 34 says, not that the testimony I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. See, the testimony he was calling upon here is not from John the baptizer, is from his father. Another way we know that is not so clear in the English, but it is clear in the Greek. There is another who bears witness about me. And that another is another of the very same stuff. There's two Greek words for another. One is the very same, and the other is a different one, similar to. See, John is a different one, or a, a, is, is, this, is the same, is another one different from me, but similar. Right? But the other one who is just like Jesus is the Father. He's going to tell us point blank this on over in chapter 10. I and the Father are one. He's already told us, I just simply do what the Father is doing. In other words, his will, my will, the same. His works, my works, the same. His words, my, it's all the same. He's already claimed that. And now he's saying, there is another that is the father who bears witness about me. I know the testimony that he bears about me is true. That's about the judgment. That's specifically about the judgment. And then he moves on to talk about, obviously, everything else. The Sabbath issue that preceded the judgment issue. This could go all the way back to the water and the wine, the healings. Everything that Jesus is doing, he's just decided, I'm going to pull out the witnesses. I'm going to pull out the testimonies. We're going to do it right here. We're going to have this out. You don't have any. You don't call any. I have plenty. And so he just goes through a litany. And let's just work down through them. He has these multiple sources that verify who he is and what he's doing. The first, again, we see here is God the Father. But then he mixes into it. Notice it's just kind of scrambled up in there, John the baptizer. You sent to John, and he's borne witness to the truth. In other words, they went and said, who is this? And he said, what did he say? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's who he is. John goes to prison. Some of his own disciples go and say, is this, is this the one? And he sends them back and says, yeah, you know, go, just go ask him who he is. That's the essence. Just go ask him. So you go, you ask, John tells you. He tells you I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He tells you I am one who will do greater things than he's doing. He will tell you that he is decreasing and I am increasing. Go ask him. He's already told you all this. Then he moves from John, again, to the Father. 
verse 36, but the testimony that I have greater than John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing. But again, let's don't leave John too soon. Look again there in verse 34, at the end of 34. Not that the testimony that I receive from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He's calling John into the mix. Because he's concerned about these people. Isn't that a curious statement there in the middle of this? I say these things so that you may be saved. You say, well, what's curious about that? Well, it's curious because of where it is. But it's really not curious, is it? John, chapter 3. Verse 17, we read this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But he's talking about John. Yeah, and John's message was repent. Remember? He preached a baptism of repentance. It's the same message Jesus preached. So that you may be saved. And notice on down. He says in verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This also shouldn't surprise us that you, so that you may be saved and so that you may have life, is plugged into this witness litany because John's already told us, and we saw this as we looked through the prologue, and then we'd skip from the prologue, verses 1 through 18 in chapter 1, to the very end of John's gospel account, and what's the whole purpose of this book? John says, the reason I wrote this is so that you might be saved, so that you might believe, so that you might have a life. And Jesus says, right in the middle of it all, so that you might have life abundant. So it shouldn't surprise us that while Jesus is in a legal context here calling legal witnesses, it's for their benefit. It's for their salvation. Now, I'm going to ask a question. How many times? I mean, I, th- I think you could. I think you could agree with me that uh, we've got something of a of a little skirmish going on here between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees, right? And this thing's going to brew, and it's going to brew, and it's going to brew, and it's going to finally come to a head, and Jesus is going to lose. Humanly speaking, he's going to die on the cross, but he's going to be raised on the third day. And here he is, he's saying, you made these accusations. You don't believe me. 
You're accusing me of violating the Sabbath. You're accusing me of this, accusing me of blasphemy against God, claiming to be God, whom I am. And the middle of this debate, this argument, drawing these witnesses to account for him, he's concerned about their salvation. Now here's back to the question. I said, I got a question for you. When we're in the middle of a debate, somebody says, so, so you believe in the Trinity? So you believe Jesus was God? So you believe that salvation is in Jesus Christ alone? You know how those go. Is it our concern that our debate wins them to Christ or that we simply win? You can win the debate without people ever hearing about Christ. And here Jesus brings the whole point to them at least twice as he wins the debate his concern is that they be one to him that they be brought to saving faith not that simply he just wins it's one of those questions we have to ask ourselves do we say the things we say when we talk to people about Jesus so that they may be saved? Or do we say it so that they just know the truth? You say, but I, 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 can't, I can't make them believe. No, that's right. But that should be our, that should be our, our approach. That should be our desire as we talk to people, is that they believe, not simply that they have a bunch of information that we're dumping on them. Jesus has that concern. Notice something else. He also reminds them about John. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his life. Wow, that stinger. I'm just living out. I'm just doing what John said I would do. He said I would do greater things than him. And you rejoiced in that. He said that I would increase and he would decrease. And you rejoiced in that for a while. What's happened? What happened was Jesus is demanding everything. You can't just like the message. You got to love me. You got to trust me. So then he turns from John. The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. 
for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing bear witness. His works are called upon as a testimony. So John's a witness, the Father's a witness, his own works are witnessed. Why would he say that? I'm just going to be simple on this one. The reason he could say that my works are witness to me and who I am is because only God could do what he was doing. See, only God, only God could say, I came to save the world. Only God could turn water into wine. Only God could heal. Only God could raise the dead. Only God could speak with the authority that he spoke with. How many times do they, they credit him with speaking with the authority that no one has ever spoken with? See, everything he was saying and everything he was doing said, he just screamed. I'm God. That's the simple, if you want to understand, what's he talking about here? The very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Because everything was, everything was what only God could do. He didn't do anything that just mere men could do. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. So he moves to the Father again. The Father is borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, who's the one he has sent? Well, he's talking about himself again here. Jesus makes a lot out of this all the way through the book of John. John highlights this over and over. I am the Father sent me. I came from the Father. And that's just in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John just keeps bringing back over and over verse 1 in a, in a variety of ways. Jesus sent from the Father. And then he, he, rebu- he, he rebukes him. He says, his voice you've never heard. The contrast, I have. You've never seen his form, I have. Why? Because I came from him. He sent me. I was in his presence. Eternally, Father, Son, in relation. But then there's also something else going on here too. Because he then immediately turns and says, you need to search. You're searching the scriptures. Now there's a question mark here. Is this a command? Or is this just an indicative? Is it imperative or is it indicative? Is it a statement? Him saying, you search the scriptures. Or is he commanding them, you need to go back and do a better job searching the scriptures. And the fact is, it's unclear. 
This is one of those places where the Greek can be read either way. But as you notice, the translators, and you can look at as many translations as you wish, and they almost all do the same thing, translate it as a statement. Jesus is just saying, I think it's a statement too because I think he's rebuking them. He's saying, you have scrutinized the scriptures, and you still haven't heard his voice. Because he just said that, right? You haven't heard him. And then he says, you search the scriptures. Literally, you scrutinize them. You have picked them apart, and you still haven't heard the Father speaking. Isaiah, the prophet, said having ears they don't hear, and eyes they don't see. And Jesus is just calling up the words of Isaiah. You've not heard, you've not seen. So he calls Isaiah in here. And notice, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness, not me. Oh, there's another convicting thought, isn't it? Some of you are like I. I I know some people who know the Bible better than I do and better than many ministers that I know. And they do not know Jesus Christ. But if you misquote a verse, they'll fix you. Or if you attribute it to Abraham when it was really Moses, they'll get you. Or if you say it was in Isaiah and it was really in Jeremiah, they got you. And they know nothing of the love of Jesus. And that's what's going on here. You search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So the Father, John the Baptist, the works that Jesus was doing, the scriptures all bear witness to Jesus. Where was it that the the apostles took people? Matthew, how many times does he quote the Old Testament? Mark, quote the Old Testament. Luke, quote the Old Testament. John, quotes the Old Testament. He also does a lot of theological summarizing of the Old Testament. As he weaves it in. Jesus. We learn on the road to Emmaus in the resurrection appearance of Jesus to those two. That he took them to the Old Testament to teach them all things about himself. See that was the New Testament Bible. Because the New Testament documents are coming into formation. God's giving that revelation at the time they are working. And so, so much of the New Testament is a commentary on the Old Testament. And then the New Testament is a further explanation of all the things the Old Testament projected for or prophesied of. So you, they had no excuse. 
The scriptures were clear about who Jesus was, who they were as sinners, and what they must do to have life everlasting, and that was to believe in the Messiah. And he says, do you not think that I will accuse you to the Father? Or do not think, rather, that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. And he pulls out Moses. I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to point this out to the Father. Moses is your accuser. You say you know the scriptures, you say you know the law, the Torah, that which Moses gave, and yet you don't know me, that's the accusation. You just, you're your own accuser. Moses is your, is your worst enemy, not your best friend. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words. So Jesus has pulled out the witnesses. And they're all dependable. And they're all trustworthy. And they're all from God. Now here's the conclusion. Believing Jesus' testimony... And believing that he is the only savior of sinners is a life and death issue. He said so, didn't he? If you believe me, you have life. What's the, what's the converse of that? If you don't, you don't. So where are you? Are we loving him? Are we loving his word? Or do we just study the Bible to know the Bible? We just come to church to come to church. We just go to Sunday school to go to Sunday school. Or do we come to worship the one true and living God and to know him and have life everlasting? They had a big problem. Same problem we struggle with. The apostles just struggled with this too, didn't they? Remember in, uh, in Mark chapter 10, the sons of thunder had the audacity to ask the Lord, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom with you? Mom asked which one could sit on the right hand. Glory, glory. I heard a cover. Oh, well, Frank Sinatra covered it too. I don't know who originally wrote it and sang it. I heard another rendition of it just a couple of days ago on a seriously Sinatra station. You all know the, the hymn, the great American hymn. It's number one in the American hymn book. I did it my way, right? That's where these people were. It's where we tend to live. 
If you're not into Sinatra, you're into country, then Toby Keith has it for you. He's number one in the American country hymn book. I want to talk about me. But it's Christ. He's the one who saves. He's the one who has life. And he's the only one. He deserves, he deserves all the glory. And so let's trust him. And let's give him the glory. Father, thank you for your word. And we ask now that you would drive it deep into our hearts. Save the lost. Build up the saints. And bring glory to yourself. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.